0: Welcome to the Association of Insurance Compliance Professionals podcast. AICP
1: serves the insurance compliance community by promoting relationships, exchanging information, and providing learning opportunities within a dynamic regulatory environment. You're listening to Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, a conversation with Trevor Gandhi. Join Trevor Gandy, Managing Director, Talent, Diversity, and Inclusion at Markel Corporation, as he joins Jennifer Montoro of Everest Insurance to discuss the shift in the workplace and the impact of contemporary events within the political climate. They'll also discuss measuring inclusivity and diversity within the workplace. Lastly, Trevor will talk about ongoing DE&I initiatives within Markel. And now, here's your host, Jen Montoro.
0: Hi, everyone. My name is Jen Montoro, and today I'm gathered here with Trevor Gandhi of Markel, and we're going to talk about some of the important aspects of DEI—that is diversity, equity, and inclusion. We'll talk about the shift within the workplace, separation of personal life and work, and we'll touch upon how some current social events may have helped to shape this evolution. We'll discuss how inclusivity and diversity are measured and what can be done to better capture the success of programs within the workplace. And lastly, I'd like to ask Trevor to talk about any DEI initiatives going on within Hell. Now, to get started, I just wanted to give everyone a little background on how I first came to know Trevor. I worked with Trevor for Trav many years ago, and I attended several town halls, which you spoke at. And I think the first time I met you was, oh gosh, I think we're going back to like 2012, maybe. It was at a women's networking event, and it was in the Warren Corporate Headquarters office, and I met both yourself and your wife there. And needless to say, you have left an indelible mark on me. So I thank you for your time today, and I look forward to our conversation.
1: Wonderful. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Now, before we dive in, if you could take a few minutes just to introduce yourself to those who may not know you already, that'd be great.
1: Sure. Trevor Gandy. I serve as managing director of talent diversity and inclusion at Markel Corporation. And over the course of my career, I've started many years ago as a commercial underwriter, uh, then moved into human resources. I joined Chubb many years ago in a human resources capacity, and then through career growth and opportunity, um, moved into the chief diversity officer role. And then to that extent, served uh, at Chubb through their acquisition. And then went into consulting on my own. And then that led to a stint at Amazon. And through the consulting work, though, the relationship with Markel was established. And I got to know a lot about that organization and its culture. And that's led to this full-time role that they created that I now occupy.
0: Mm -hmm. That's exciting. I too started off, well, not within the underwriting sector, but I started off um, within personal lines division and I kind of run the gamut throughout my career. But anyhow, uh, thanks for sharing that with us. Let's talk about how some of the dynamics have changed within the workplace, because when I first entered the workforce, there was a very clear distinction between your personal life and your work life. If you were a young parent like myself, you know, you didn't necessarily take time away from the work to take care of your child. Or if you did, it was was very kind of a separation of uh, church and state, if you will, right? Whereas I feel like today things are a little bit different, right? Especially with COVID. So talk to me a little bit about how that's changed throughout your time within this spectrum.
1: Yeah, boy. And I'll start way back when years ago, the Family Medical Leave Act began and I was in human resources. And before that, when people had needs for significant time away and and often maternity leave was the most, I'd say, obvious opportunity for that law to have impact. I remember prior to that, you know, friends of mine, women in the organizations who were, you know, starting families, you know, it meant the loss, potential loss of your job to do that or certainly no guarantee that you could stay at the same role, same level. But I remember then one scenario where a good friend of mine who was a peer on the leadership team was starting a family and planning to of course take the time that the law afforded and a senior female in the organization was discouraging her because of her past. And we had a healthy discussion, me and the senior manager, about, you know, there's there's a reason for change, there's a reason for the laws. And we want this person to obviously go and thrive as a new mom and set the foundation for the family and and trust that the employer will do it because she was she was concerned that will the company really be accepting. And so it led to the development of what we called a maternity plan, and that became something this manager shared with other women in the organization. So it was, I'd say, as I look back, it was one of the first examinations of obviously work and life converge. They always have. But, you know, that was a clear example, FMLA as to, well, what are we going to do about it? But I'd say for other factors, socioeconomic difference in the workplace, race and ethnicity difference in the workplace. It's actually I'd say it was very prolonged, right, other than you know maybe a few instances, maybe a few companies that were progressive, really thinking about what matters, what we're doing, how do we connect this with our culture and so as i as I fast forward to twenty twenty and such a you know dynamic and interesting year when we all think about all the convergence right of you know the emergence of a of a global pandemic, George floyd, other factors all examining you know how we're going to accomplish work remotely and at home and of course those in service industries and such that didn't have those options. it was just an interesting convergence of difference. And so I would say specifically from a race and ethnicity standpoint, as I look back on it, what it examined was we, we really hadn't spent as much time thinking about difference from other perspectives. We, we had our own life experience with race, Or so, but until I think we all stepped back and saw the video and examined where we were as as a society, where we still had work to do, I think that propelled us to say, well, it's not simply going to be left to discussions with our non-work, you know, colleagues. That there was something then that propelled us to want to have healthy dialogue at the workplace. But what we found was, I'd say in many cases, we're, were workplaces really well positioned for this? Because I think, Jennifer, as you said, so often this, you know, separating work from personal life, will the employer really be receptive to discussions? And so I would just say that, you know, discussions on race and matters of difference, that was just part of the same conundrum that organizations had to face. At that time, though, that's when I reconnected with colleagues who were at Marquell. It was interesting for me, you know, in, in discussing with them their desire to have some dialogue around these events. For them, they very clearly were connected to their culture objectives and, and sharing and discussing and learning together. And so it led to a session that I hosted that included the CEO's And the variety of employees, some of them black employees, to really discuss what matters to them. What are we learning? How does this impact us as people? What do we want to be better? You know, not just on a societal level, but what do we want to be better at our workplace based on what we're experiencing? So it was just it was healthy, and I credit the individuals, the leaders that I engage with, to create a comfortable space. And we did this as a webcast of sorts because we were most of us were not. In the workplace, and it was just as I look back on the session, the feedback—it certainly helped me see the the value in having what I would say these compelling conversations. Right now, we're you know we're at a point now where let's acknowledge that we need to talk through things, we need to socialize our thoughts, understand different perspectives. But I I, I would say. I feel we need to continue to have the open-mindedness, right? That that part of the learning is I need to examine someone else's perspective on the same matter. We need to comfortably express viewpoints in the spirit of learning and progressing. And so I'd say that's where, you know, I think you're seeing this continued focus as we went from 2020 to, to current state. And I'll just say specifically, you know, in the DNI space, there's this there's been a lot of, I think, misinterpretation, right? And to some degree, a level of divisiveness because, you know, this openness of learning and sharing and exploring with good intention, I think that needs to continue to be emphasized for progress.
0: Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you bring that up. I recently participated in a webinar, I guess, if you will. It was a discussion, and there were several panelists, and we were talking specifically about race and bringing your authentic self to the workplace. And primarily, there was a division within the panelists on what it meant to bring your authentic self to the workplace because many of them had found that while they felt they could bring themselves to the workplace, they were still bringing a different version of themselves to the workplace, right? So, they were talking about their hair, for example, right? Do they wear their hair naturally? Do they straighten it? Some women were choosing to wear wigs and what did that mean for them in relation to being their authentic selves, right? Because they still want to present themselves professionally. So they're still conforming, but they're doing so willingly and knowingly while still presenting their authentic selves. So it was a very interesting conversation. And I think it was, if anything, I, that I took away it certainly kind of walked me through this journey of evolution, right? Like how far we've come that we can actually have these conversations now in the workplace, but how far we have yet to go. And that divisiveness, you know, some people within that conversation were definitely more progressive than others, and it's very interesting.
1: Very. You know, it's it's it's, it's because it, it it reflects back, I think, on some of the points I was making. One, you have to create the environment where there can be sharing, where people can can discuss whatever their their perceptions, their challenges, their realities are. But with something like that, like with hair, I think it it, it is probably very surprising. To others that don't have to think about those things, right? Now with it, and I think in the perspective of we all want to progress, we all want to broaden our, our perspective and create environments where where all can thrive, I think there's there's two sides to that though. You know we need people to comfortably share, to expose things that they feel. Are, are different for them, that create additional challenges that, that don't allow them to be as engaged. And then, of course, those of us sort of on the other side of whatever the issue is, you know, how do we mitigate it? And, and for something like that, maybe for some, it's like, you know, it really didn't matter as much, the hairstyle, if in fact you're in an environment and you're working with those who that's, they just want you to bring your full, quote, unquote, authentic self But until it's expressed and until it's heard and until you've helped someone feel comfortable, like that's not potentially an expectation. So I I just think it's just one example, though, where it's the lack of sharing, the lack of openness, the lack of trust are the factors that allow conditions like that to permeate generations at work. And so... Maybe we're on the road to talking through some of these other barriers but i've I've often found in my you know my own career in those moments where I feel like that that level of trust and confidence in a manager, a colleague, sometimes the things that I thought were going to be real impediments and 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 be perhaps reasons why I might not feel i I would fit in that team in that organization in that culture. I actually found that the conversation, the openness, it actually, some issues weren't the issues I thought they were. Uh-huh. Some people had a bit more inclusive mindset than I thought they did. So I've tried to approach it now on let's give people enough grace and let's give people enough credit that, you know, or confidence that let's let's engage and let's engage and then let's see, let's have the discussion as uncomfortable as it may seem on the front end. And I don't know, maybe, maybe, I'm, a, maybe I'm a bit of an optimist, but I, I, I find that if you're with the right people, if you're with the right organization, and you can comfortably sort of speak up and put those thoughts out there, it will hold true that you're at the right place. You know, you, you need to engage and, and, and to take some degree of risk. To really assess, and so anyway, I I hate to harp harp back to 2020 again, but I remember watching the news with my wife nightly. Right, we're all following the events, and to see the number of people, and and I'd say, you know, speaking back to George Floyd, the number of non-black people, young people, people of all backgrounds, all ages, out there around the world, being supportive and protesting peacefully, I mean, there was a level of groundswell and support that I would not have anticipated was there. And so that event, as unfortunate as it was, of course it occurred, it actually, I think, gave us all a lens on the human spirit and the greater good that perhaps we would not have thought was as as strong as it was. Now, now that's in the moment. That doesn't mean there isn't a a lot of work to do, but I do think that was a good illustration as to who most of us are and what most of us value.
0: I would agree. I would absolutely agree. My personal journey, going back to the conversation about hair, right? So I'm one of those people who cannot relate. I've never had to consider those things or uh, been faced with some of those challenges about how I wear my hair. But I have had my own fair share of struggles and challenges. I was in a heterosexual marriage for a number of years, divorced while working as a young mother, and then entered a same-sex relationship. So I've sort of had to work through some of those things in my own way. And it was, as you said, it was surrounding myself with people who were very supportive of that. But it was also listening to those Senior leaders within the organization share their stories. And it was taking that risk and putting myself out there in a, in a whole new lens. And I was very much surprised at how accepting everyone was and how kind people were. I, you know, I feared ridicule and judgment. So, yeah.
1: One of my greatest learnings has been on that topic. So I'll try to protect. Individuals and confidentiality. I, 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 but I, I want to share a a personal story on on that front. So years ago, um, when I was an HR manager, I I had someone who was a direct report, so an, an HR leader, and we had a very close working relationship. Great performer and just somebody I put a lot of trust and confidence in. And we had a fairly small team, so we really were working collaborative quite often. I often felt this person though. Gosh, working hard. Does she have a life outside of work? My assumptions were she's just so work focused. And so while we talked generally about our lives, there wasn't that much awareness. So I do not recall this moment, but she made it very clear to me the next day that we 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 were actually at a work function. And I guess there was some general discussion about travel and partners. And the next day she came to the office and wanted to meet with me and was in tears because she said, now, you know, and I'm like, you know what? And so she had basically outed herself and it's weird in the moment, but I didn't recall the conversation, but what she got from me, I was so happy because I knew she had a life that hadn't been disclosed to me but she had this full life. She had this wonderful relationship. And so I was overjoyed that my lack of knowledge was, you know, my perception was not indicative of the life she had. What she needed from me was to understand I was fully supportive of that. But she did ask me to keep it confidential. So we had, we were really in that organization. We were doing a lot to, I think, be progressive and to think about the culture for LGBTQ colleagues. And she was aware of that, but still felt like it may have, she felt it have impact to her professionally, like people knew. I think the fact that I was supportive and she saw that it took our relationship to another level, started to have her feel that perhaps she can bring her whole self to work, that perhaps she's in a culture and in an environment where that's not an impediment. And this is where I, it goes back to that point I made that sometimes we have to trust. Sometimes we have to take the risk. She took the risk. She started informing more people. A year after that, she is at a conference that we were hosting for our LGBTQ colleagues and she was comfortably out. And so I think about a career where at that point she had spent many years with the organization, was considered a great performer, but only after these moments did she have, I'd say, probably the joy that she ultimately had? And I'd say for those of us on the other side, not knowing as much or not not having this deep a connection with someone, it made for better work. It made for better relationships. And 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 so it's but once again, you know, there there have to be those factors of trust and disclosure for for any of us to get there.
0: I agree. Agree. I think that's sort of l- lends lensed to my next talking point, and that is, you know, how do you measure inclusivity within the workplace? And and a lot of companies are pushing to create a more level platform at the senior management level or higher. What does that do for the company's overall culture and how do we measure those things? You know, because a lot of us, myself included, look to those senior leaders for that support, for that platform so that we can bring our whole self, our authentic self to the workplace so how do you how do you measure that and what does that look like?
1: Well, I'd say there's a variety of ways right there's the There's the hard metrics there's looking at an organization and looking at people in roles and in making an assessment. I would say I continue to believe the hard metrics, the percentages the numbers it's a lagging indicator to me it's 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 you know it's a measure, but it doesn't give you a sense as to how people feel about their role, their organization, the people they work with. It also doesn't give you a clear sense then if understanding how people feel about their current state, do they feel they have a future? Do they feel they can progress? Is the environment one where people feel they can reach whatever their fullest potential may be? And so whether it's engagement surveys, pulse surveys, focus groups, ways to engage, that will give you the deeper insights. And then you start to then determine what hurdles you may have to contemplate and work through. You know once again, I'll go back to an example of this a few years back, I was examining engagement survey data in a prior role prior company, and only when we could like get the cuts by demographics and then to start to examine not just how women, men, people of color, other demographics, but what I would say intersectionality, women of color, how do they feel about the organization once we started to get these. At that time, they were considered unique cuts, not just race or gender, but both. We started to learn that women of color were having a very different experience, regardless of level, regardless of performance. They didn't feel the same. They didn't feel as valued, as trusted. They didn't feel as networked or supported for progress. And this was a surprise because, you know, knowing that there were some tremendously talented women of color. It was like, oh my gosh, why would they not? So we had to dig more. We had to look into it. And Two of the compelling factors that we found out that actually led to an external research study was that often women of color, disproportionate to men of color, majority women or any other demographic, do not have the same depth of relationship with their direct manager. And so that will manifest then in all of these issues of feeling valued, trusted, connected, informed. So in that organization, we actually began an initiative. We worked at it. We said, you know what? We trust the data and we want to improve the situation. And so we we had an initiative that over time had tremendous impact. But Before we actually had the hard metrics, before we actually had more women of color and senior to executive levels, we had another engagement survey. So the only thing between the engagement survey that led to all of this review and an initiative supported by senior leaders was our stating that we're going to work at it, that we we realize that there's something here that we need to put our attention towards. The engagement survey for women of color, the next survey, was higher than any other demographic. So it told me a lot about trust and values and sharing and being open and acknowledging where we are and where we can be better. Now, two years after that, of course, we not only have conveyed that we want to do more we actually had seen progress. We actually also had received some external recognition, but the first thing, it was doing the right thing for the right people and helping people clearly understand their value. So it comes back to the basics, but that's why I, I'd say looking at the hard metrics, but also understanding some of the cultural realities, some of the engagement findings of your workforce, That's where you, I think, can determine where where you need to prioritize.
0: What are your thoughts around incentivizing diversity efforts, right? Because a lot of companies provide referral bonuses for their employees to, to bring others into the organization. For example, you know, if I had successful working relationships with individuals in the past, you know, I may want to bring them forward with me. Is it really adding to the diversity and to the overall culture of an organization, or am I just bringing those along with me who I'm comfortable with, who I'm finding likeness with? Is that really adding a value?
1: Well, two things. I, I certainly believe in employee referral. You know, people who are succeeding, are very positive about the workplace, they bring on others who often will perform well. You know, I would say that one of the most important things though, is your process for how you make decisions on who you hire, who you promote, you know, are those sound, have you, have you really thought about the process to try to mitigate things like bias as much as possible? So with it, you know, and, and you mentioned employee referrals, I'm all for everyone referring people. Now, if we're speaking about diversity and such, certainly opportunities to think about your employee resource groups or your to make to make the same employee referral program and you know how you market it, you market it broadly, make sure everyone understands so I'd say I'm not as I don't think I'd be as much for about trying to get too targeted that if if the suggestion was there's going to be like a an incentive for a diverse referral versus non diverse I'd say have a great employee referral program. And encourage everyone and then through your mechanisms through your hiring selection consideration process hopefully then through that breadth of marketing opportunity you're bringing great people through the system and, and hiring some and then that i'd say that's the kind of process that will sustain itself several years ago there were, you know i i worked with a company that wanted to measure its diversity strategy through its recruiting process and, and this company was very focused on, we're going to get as many diverse candidates in the interview process as we can, and and they put their earmark of success by the percentage of candidates in the interview process. And I remember when I was working with this company, I felt you know I, I I get it, you want a broad slate, but don't you want to also have some. Criteria or, or or some objective on the hiring, right? You're still hiring for talent. It's always merit based, but but there was no objective. So what happened was tremendous number of women and a, a, a healthy percentage of people of color going through interviews, but none being selected. Or a lot of the discussion was, well, maybe not necessarily for my department, but another department. And so once again, you know, thinking through, it's it's working backwards from what you want. And and, and I'd say that if the objective is to have the best talent you can and, and of course i'd say best talent means you should have a broad lens and, and and be able to have a a fairly diverse robust slate of talent that you're considering then you just have to think about then how equipped are your hiring managers how well prepared have you thought about the the questions the assessment and and if you get those things right you tend to have good good results Another example I'll quickly give on this. I, you know, I worked on an initiative with a technology company who actually took the humans out of the selection process. They came up with an AI-related, artificial intelligence-related process to post jobs, gather candidate information, go through an assessment, and extend job offers. And what was interesting is after they worked through the process and I was there with the talent acquisition, the engineering teams, it was not done at all as a diversity initiative. It frankly was just to help a new retail format get off the ground and thousands of people needed to be hired. And there just weren't the, there wasn't the capacity to go through the the standard interview and, and hiring process. But what we found the degree of diversity in any way you can measure it, Physical diversity, neurodiversity, gender, ethnicity, so it was it was a learning for me about process assessment, and frankly, in that scenario, taking the human out of it made us have we have to think through the process at a very granular level. But we attracted a workforce that none of us believed we would have attracted through our traditional means.
0: Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I, I've read similar studies where companies have taken, you know, just the name on an application or a resume and they've eliminated the name and they've reviewed applicants. And the studies have shown that the pool itself is much more diversified when you're not looking at some of those things. It's very interesting.
1: You're not letting your...
0: Your biases.
1: Your biases, your preconditioning yeah. get in the way of, of assessing skill, capability, fit. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And I think it's important that you mentioned some of those other characteristics that we so often don't necessarily think of because they're not quite as visible, right? So our our neurodivergence, some of our people who might have a disability that's not necessarily physically visible or things to that nature, you know, it's, it's important that we also talk about those things, socioeconomically diverse and things of that nature. Gosh, we could talk all day. <laughs> but with that said, I was hoping before we end that you could talk to us a little bit about some of the initiatives that. Markel has going on, and some of the things that you're involved with there.
1: Yeah, so um, just a very special culture. You know, we call it the Markel style, which really captures the essence of who we are, how we how we work together, how we treat each other, how we what we feel differentiates us in the marketplace. But I'd say that you know, you understand the culture of our organization, then it's very it's very natural that there's a, a commitment for inclusion. In written in the style are things about authenticity, fullest potential, working together, thinking of better ways to do things, a disdain for bureaucracy. You know, so as you think about something that was created back in the mid 80s as really the, you know, The north star for the company it's interesting that that was before all of these terms in the dni space existed but boy if it hasn't made it great for the work i do to connect it back to the cultural values of us all so with it it's been a great early journey for me to think about the diversity strategy that we'll have for the next three years and and the real depth of focus we'll have and in various elements, but I would say, you know, three pillars of special focus or particular focus, the workforce. How do we attract the best people in the world to work at Markel? Those who may not even be contemplating a career in the industry. And so how do we make sure they, they understand all that this industry offers and, and what's compelling about what they can do with our organization? but also the workplace so that it's a place where everyone can thrive and that you create an environment where you know you equip great leaders and great leaders create teams that have great outcomes and perform well over time and have success and of course with that then you also contemplate the marketplace and what is it that you want your various stakeholders whether they be trading partners customers regulatory bodies to think about you, your organization beyond great products, services, financial results. So these three pillars of workforce, workplace, marketplace, It, it to me, it creates an ecosystem of ideas, of strategies, of efforts that, that will measure and that they will contribute to the organization in, in a positive way. So that's where I'd say aligning diversity and inclusion With your core objectives and with your cultural values, if 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 you can find that synergy, I'd say that's where the best companies, the companies who achieve great success, be it in diversity and inclusion or other ways they may define success, I find that when you try to have a lot of when you contemplate diversity and inclusion as something off to the side, we're going to have the diversity recruiting program. We're going to have the diverse talent development initiative. It's one way to go about it, but I think it may create unintended challenges because it's not, it's not the recruiting strategy for all. It's not the development program for all. And so I'd say one of the things that's unique in Markel in my role is I have oversight for many of the talent processes that we have. And so I can just ensure there's a DNI lens on these processes. And so hiring great people, developing great people technically, positioning people for leadership and technical roles of significance in the organization, being able to think about future leaders through efforts like succession planning. Well, if you just do those things for the breadth of your company with a DNI lens, I just think it I just think it bodes better because it's it's the processes that matter, right? That's that's, as you said, Jennifer, earlier, that's where if you, if you are trying to make progress, you have to solve for why those processes potentially aren't driving the success you want. Or if you are having success, what is it about the processes that is working for you? So that's where heads, hearts have to merge into strategy and activity.
0: Well, thank you for your time today. I know you're extremely busy and very much appreciate this very much
1: It's great to reconnect and also continue to follow all the great work you're doing
0: Thank you thank you thank you and best to you at Marquel
1: Thank you